for us as human beings, finding ways to to make new cultural blendings from things that maybe aren't necessarily from our very, very own, very far back roots. To sustain or to retain or to reclaim some frequential niceness, some some place of being, mm. um, which I think that recalibration. Mm. Um, or that calibration need, yeah. that we require um, mm, mm. can come from each one making their own bow and playing that bow so that the frequencies fill the chamber of, of their own crevices mm, in mm. the skull, in the throat, in the chest mm. and so on and mm. and heal and, 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 and explore what, what lies within the healing dynamic of indigenous uh, yeah. knowledge systems. Mm. Uh, what is the... What is what is the healing in the healing music? How do I understand the bow if I'm going to play now? How do I understand the rhythmic textures that are that are conjured for it not to to stultify, mm. nor to structure in a rigid way, but just to to unlock and then to free. Evening. My name is Ryan Fortune, and I'm your host for the Cornerstone Critical Dialogues. This is the ninth episode. And if you're here, so glad you're here. So glad that you've followed us so far. It's been an amazing, amazing journey so far. Every day, every Thursday, when we do the show, this is it. This is the format. You um, you may not know it, but this is it. It is a discussion, a deep dive into... A particular topic that is of some newsworthiness at the present moment or some critical issue that we, we've decided we want to investigate, explore, analyze, and, uh, and just generally try to understand on a much more profound level than just uh, sort of fleeting news headlines. And so uh, the Cornerstone Critical Dialogues is, uh, is, uh, is tonight going to focus on indigenous knowledge, indigenous knowledge systems, reviving and celebrating our indigenous knowledge systems. And um, to help us understand uh, <clears throat> what, and what all of that is, what that means in practice, is uh, in the studio I have Luby Rush. Luby Rush, who is um, a South African... Let's call it a food activist, but she's a particularly an activist for uh, indigenous foods and um, how uh, how we need to understand them better to create awareness about them. She's been busy on this mission for over a decade now. And um, Luby, can you just uh, tell us a bit about the work that you've been doing so far? Yes. Good evening, everyone. Um, so I. Um my mother remarried when I was 11 and she married an archaeologist and it gave me the opportunity to go into the felt with him and dig in caves and he told me about the various things that they found there that people used to eat and it kind of tweaked my interest then already so I heard about Watsonias and Skopat Betis and How old were you at the time? I was 11 so I was very lucky to at that young age already know that our landscapes are edible even though I wasn't necessarily eating them. We did eat Vardablomikis and we did, you know, pick Feldkohl and make Feldkohl bread a bit and that sort of thing, but not very much at all. And then very much later, um, I'd been working as a landscape designer for 
20, 25 years. And I just felt that, you know, for me to be spending my skill set on servicing a community that's already so privileged just didn't make sense when I saw actually what the issues of this country are. And I felt I wanted to reframe and do something more meaningful. And my other love has always been food. I've always loved food from when I was teeny. And so it was a very easy switch to go from local indigenous um, ornamental plants. I, always, I would always encourage my clients to plant local indigenous plants. In other words, winter rainfall, because so much, so much of our landscaping in the Western Cape is done with summer rainfall plants, which is kind of self-defeating because then you end up still having to water them in the summer. Um, and so the switch to food was an easy one. And I became involved with slow food and um, I had a brand called Making Course and I bottled things and sold mm. them at market and then gradually began began to engage more and more with all the issues around indigeneity, around food sovereignty, around knowledge systems that are so incredibly lost. I started helping students to to start researching because, you know, the Western Cape's food are so under-researched in comparison to the indigenous foods from the rest of the country and up into Southern Africa. The summer rainfall foods are much better known, much better understood and much more in use. And our Western Cape foods are somehow... Yeah, just completely forgotten. The medicinals, yes, there's a very strong knowledge, traditional knowledge base still in use. But the edibles, largely forgotten. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. so I've been working very much to try to draw people's interest in them and get farmers to grow them also because, mm -hmm. you know, traditionally they were foraged. Mm -hmm. They were never cultivated. Mm -hmm. Okay, we're going we're gonna to catch up on all of that. And um, I see you've brought some fantastic uh, uh, food into the studio. And this is why I feel very lucky. This is going to be one, one of the, one of the, the, the best shows that, that I've done because we get to taste some food. It becomes a whole sensory experience, uh, which is always great. Other guests in the studio with me tonight is Glenn Aronser, who I've known for a very long time, since the days of Cafe Camisa in Clove Street performing at Monday Blues with uh, a group that was starting out at the time called the Koi Connection. This is back in the late 90s, is it not, Glenn? Yeah. yeah. Tell, tell us a bit about the work that you've been doing for the past two, three decades now around music. and. Yeah, thanks, thanks for the opportunity. Um, I think the work of Koi Connection was kind of where it started and then kind of intensified, you know. Um, around this work with image, um, word and sound as performance poetry, but of course it morphed and is much more than that. So um, the level at which we at which we went at it, um, taking performance anxiety on stage and then soundscaping with it and giving giving um, expression to the insecurities um, that we then, as people asking, who are we and what is our thing? And then we check out the bow is our thing. So, you know, how come we don't know what our thing is? <laughs> mm. So it's to, to rediscover this thing that is mm. our thing. Mm. Um, so, so, so that, that became the Koi Connection became a platform mm. kind of for that. Mm. And I then did a bit of formal study that, mm. you know, um, shaped some stuff out of that, um, mm. which, which kind of, with Koi Connections work, not just as uh, performers, but also as 
cultural activists and development uh, practitioners, as it were, um, we designed some workshop material which included how to make and play a bow um, with the humbleness that such a project requires, but by virtue of doing it uh, with an open heart and open mind and with intent, um, I think we kind of got the roots into a better understanding, and that is what I would like to to. to to talk about, you know. Mm-hmm. If, if, if. Yeah. Thanks, Glenn, for, for, the, for that brief introduction. So, so uh, the, the, the immediate sort of news hook for tonight's program is uh, what is called Emancipation Day. And so Emancipation Day was yesterday. It's a commemoration of the freeing of 39,000 slaves in Cape Town in the year 1838. And... Um, it's a very significant day. It hasn't wasn't celebrated for a long time. I mean, when we were growing up in the in the eighties and nineties, it was it wasn't really a thing about you know Emancipation Day. Slavery was still a, 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 a period shra- shrouded in darkness, in in ignorance, in in you know the the, the entire sort of narrative of slavery uh, was really focused on the Atlantic uh, transatlantic slave trade, and so the Indo Indonesian in, intra Indian Ocean slave trade wasn't really something. That we studied at, at school, um, and it's only later that then we, we we really once you delve into that sort of you have to make an effort to delve into that missing history of two hundred almost two hundred years of, of slavery where people were owned and, and all of that, and um, a large part of that community of uh, people who were enslaved were the local uh, Khoi Khoi people because they they didn't fit so well into the colonial um, imaginary at the time of you know just being uh, this, uh, slaves and so the, 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 the but they, they they were enslaved they became sort of the native americans uh, in the same way that the native americans were sort of uh, under the jackboot of the colonialists in in north america the same the same situation prevailed here yeah, and actually they they were the same company i guess because i mean we, we all know that New York used to be called New Amsterdam. So it was the same sort of philosophy of colonialism and uh, displacement and terra nullius that, you know, there was a vacant land here and anything, any, any person or plant or thing on the land belonged to the, the, the European colonial powers that had claimed it. Um, so that, so that's the history that very painful, long history, uh, that was erased that we are looking at that is, that is part of this conversation that I guess is the framing of the conversation. Uh, Luby, you wanted to say something? Yes, yes. My husband works um, as a, um, he does book layouts and publishing and that kind of thing on a small scale. And a few years back, he did a book called Grave Encounters. Mm. And it was all about those unmarked graves that are at Gallows Hill and many of them slaves. Um, from elsewhere, mm. as well as people that, you know, that were, were came down with, brought down f- from the Karoo because they were doing, you know, petty theft cheap. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And that sort of thing. And, you know, that it, it's so missing from our history mm. that just, you know, why? I mean, why was yesterday not a public holiday? You know, mm. why are we actually not... Mm. Why don't we know this history? It's, it's such an important part yes. of a kind of, it still runs in people's blood that some or other how 
processing this kind of lineage that is mm. that is still kind of working its way through our society, and mm. we just we yeah, as you say, it's erased. It's mm. critically mm. important totally, to, to engage. Totally with erased. It. So so so, Glenn. I mean, we, we, I mean, part of your work. I mean, so I, I guess for me, the thing is, I mean, colonialism and 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 slavery and all of that was really an attempt to almost erase people's uh, cultural memory, their, their histories. I mean, uh, we know that uh, Christianity also played a, a huge part part in that sort of erasure. There, there's a friend of mine called Johan Abrams who unearthed a book called Benichna, uh, which is the story of a, a koi koi woman who was converted and uh, at the end of her life in the nine in the when she was in her nineties, the, um, the the priest of the uh, I think it was the um, Moravian Church uh, basically recorded her life. So the, the, it was the sort of the story of redemption from you know being a, a pagan, heathen, whatever to Christianity. So she became this poster child. And there's an, a manuscript about this woman that I, I believe should be almost required reading, you know, uh, at schools. But anyway, this, this is where we are uh, today. We're in a studio here with lots of food and there's music and there's also going to be celebration, but we have to look at, um, at, at these, these days. I mean, uh, Glenn, would, yeah. would you agree? Yeah, for sure. I mean, <clears throat> how far back do we want to go? Um, <laughs> how far does memory stretch? Um, if I just relate a project that the Koi Connection was, was, was part of uh, and that part of Towards the end of the project was thwarted by the advent of of, of, of COVID. We were doing a, um, <clears throat> a stage play um, that looked at the uh, German Southwest African uh, presence um, or, or German presence in in, in Southwest Africa and uh, the genocide of Nama Nerero people. Um, uh, and you know, it's, you would know that it's very topical at this point. But what we did was to do some some traveling through the south of uh, Namibia, spoke to some of these people about the stories uh, there, and um, went on and wrote this st- stage production. Um, so, so this is sort of the the topics yeah. where we're at. And, and the other mm. uh, to speak about emancipation, the other thing the uh, Koi Connection, for instance, was busy with was um, the the production of a CD in order to raise funds for the. Uh, the people mm. in the Kadahari that were at the time persecuted by the Botswana government, mm-hmm. water not being made available, and yes, so, yes, yes, um, and, and and water holes being covered, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, I, mean, I, I think it, it's it's not a question whether we should celebrate this. It's about mindfulness, and when we do have this sort of thing that metaphorically is like waking up with a knop in cup, and loss of memory that is like us you know mm, mm, mm. these gaps for everyone no matter who you're from this within mm. the confines of, of our divide and rule little wookie mm. um, we were situated and our limits on what we see is relevant to this this proverbial elephant that mm, each one has mm, wanted mm, mm, mm. uh, yeah uh, I mean I've always, I've always thought I've always wondered when I when I once discovered um, you know I, obviously I, I, I post high school I, I I went on some kind of a journey to understand my roots and my history and you know discovered that I've got some people from Madagascar and people from Indonesia and Java and like these things that were weren't told to us or kept from us and I've always looked at 
the group of people, let's call them the, the, the social group of people that, that I was designated, you know, colored, as I, I, I always thought that part of the reason why that particular group is so challenged by issues of gangsterism, crime, violence, is, is because we are ignorant of of that history, you know, or there's a certain sense of shame that goes along with the history of slavery or, or, or what happened here. But I mean, it's something that we have to, it's a kind of a trauma that we have to look at because you, you're never going to be able to move forward or progress or heal, heal your trauma unless you actually understand what happened. You, you know what I'm saying? So yeah. it's this kind of repressed trauma that, that, that is never going to go away. And so the issues of, you know, alcoholism and, you know, we can talk about the DOP system and all of those things, but I think also just the sort of the general, um, all the social problems that seem to afflict that particular group in particular. Would you agree? Yeah, it's like, it's like if, we, if we look at just mental health, mm. this is like a cesspool of of. of, of, of stuff, emissions of stuff to inflict mm. if one is not attent and attuned yeah, yeah. to these um, cardinal mm. points like you're suggesting. Mm. You know, things mm. we should be talking about and things mm. that we should know about in order not to fall prey to um, yeah. these predispositions. You know? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah Luby, I want to come to you. Yes. And uh, the food. Right. Well, I had a fabulous moment about 20 minutes ago where Sia, who works for Bush Radio, was chatting to me, having a look at what I've brought, you know, this little tray full of plants Mm. that don't look particularly familiar. And he took a bite of the Braxly and Mm. it immediately triggered a memory. Mm. And, you know, I do quite a lot of workshops and that sort of experience, you know, when I take people on sort of foraging walks or that kind of thing, Mm. you know, most people say, oh, no, I don't know anything. And then if you give them a sirang, to nibble on. Suddenly, it's like this memory from when you were a kid and you went walking in the felt. It's like, oh, I know that. And, you know, that kind of reclaiming, mm-hmm. you know, it's a fabulous moment when suddenly he just, he grew, he grew up sort of up in the Karoo, in the clan Karoo. And, it, yeah, mm-hmm. Braxla grows there. And he probably hasn't thought of it, you know, ever since he left there. And yet, if you just put that thing there, it, it can just trigger it back into life. And I mean, it was so nice to see him so excited. And yeah, I mean, I'm hoping that there will be a flavor and a smell here that's familiar to, to each of you as well, because that's such an important part of reawakening and yes. reclaiming. It's, it kind of resonates somehow, um, strangely, like what trigger memories or triggers memories. Um, we played at the uh, market theater lab once and when when we were done one of the audience members came and suggested that um, aspects of the performance really kind of made him remember things that he didn't know that he forgot the way he put it right so <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So, mm. so I think um, whether whether it be through ur sounds that are Mm. Almost like outside of our our field of 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 of, of preference, yeah. Waarwording, mm, mm, you know, mm. um, can enter through these little portals, <laughs> mm, mm, <laughs> uh, sensorial maybe. Yeah, so, but but there's some primal thing I think. Maybe yeah, that happens there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, smell can do the same. Smell absolutely can yeah. can trigger yeah. something which is so right in the back of your memory system, somewhere mm. in your brain, and it mm. can just chops, be right there and mm. you're just aware again. Mm. Fantastic. So, so Luby, uh, tell me about some of the, the foods there that we have here. 
Uh, and so you, you've also have a book out, which is called, you see out in front of us there, in front of me there, Cape, Cape Wild Foods, A Grower's Guide, edition two, uh, published in collaboration with the Sustainability Institute at Stellenbosch. Uh, Correct, yes. yes. Yeah. And it's, it's full of amazing pictures of uh, preserves and foods growing wild in, in the Feinbos. <clears throat> wild cucumber, makatan, feldquil, speckboom, sea pumpkin, um, so these are these are all foods that grow in our environment that our forebears definitely uh, used to eat, but before 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 the advent of I guess slavery or you know maybe and still do probably in some parts of of the country. Yes, I mean that you will find um, num nums and kai apples will trigger people's memories and those those are I've, I've included some plants which come from the sort of crossover rainfall parts of the Cape mm. but my focus has largely been on the winter rainfall foods because mm. they're the ones that somehow have been more forgotten mm. and I've I also included plants that are would be very quick to bring into cultivation and could give a return to a grower fairly fast whereas some of the things that are in here are like trees where you know it would take a very long time mm. to for them to become mature mm. but you could actually pick from them in an urban area and make use of the nutrition that they can provide because mm. there's you know the, we are a bit limited by accessing plants in the wild because mm. there isn't actually a permitting system for, yeah, for yeah. plants only for fish and shellfish yeah, and, yeah. and that sort of thing yeah. so it's not easy to access foods in the in the wild and i think mm. that that's part of why they've also been forgotten because mm. access to landscapes is just not there mm. and and the knowledge sat in the landscape mm. i mean if you're a farmer you can take your seed with you and you can go and plant them and get going again elsewhere if you've been removed from where you came from mm. but if your knowledge sits in the landscape and you're removed from that landscape you're removed from your knowledge base mm. and i think that that's quite a significant reason. kind of reason for mm. why we've lost I mean, added to that is also the sort of stigmas around mm. poverty food and yeah. around feeling shamed about, you know, your indigeneity or your roots, yeah. which, I mean, all of those things are, are things that people need to grapple with and mm. find a way mm. to to reconcile in themselves. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah, and the food can help us do that. Explain to us what, what you've brought here. Okay, so I've brought um, the two which are the sort of juicy plants that you could put into a salad. I've brought braxlai, mm -hmm. um, and there's another one which is very closely related to it, which is called sotzlai, and you would find those on the coast as well as inland. So you'll find them in the Karoo. Sometimes they're called springbokslai, sometimes it's scarpslai. So the, yeah, so those, those are the two. And then the other one is sea pumpkin, and that one grows very much on the coast so that one's got a very limited area that it that it likes to be although we're managing to cultivate it quite a lot in other places then i've brought three kind of more aromatic herb plants and so i've brought wild rosemary and that's one which is sort of quite known because it's it's been used quite a lot in making shampoos and that sort of thing then there's wild sage and then the other one is rose geranium and those are the aromatic ones which people know the Feinbos as being quite an aromatic landscape and they're also kind of more medicinal so yeah I brought that range just because I had them on hand quite easily Mm, mm, mm. Uh, Glenn, uh, do, do you think you maybe want to have a taste of 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 of, of what, what Lubia has brought there, and then describe what you what you're tasting? Um, I've, I've had a taste of the one of the what was it? This one. 
Which was the one is, yes. is that the sea pumpkin? What is that? No, I think you, you you chose something that you stuff in my mouth, and I'm not so sure what it what it was. You I think, I think it was the Bruxly. Bruxly, it was it. Mm. And mean, common that, names are good because the Bruck tells yeah, you the, something the, about the Bruck is it. Bruck, yeah. Uh, it's Bruck water. Mm. Mm, but it's 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 got a it's got a very unusual. You've never tasted mm. that that taste before. It's quite uh, pungent, you know, in a way. But it's yeah. But it's, but it evoked a memory yeah, yeah. in Sia. I mean, it was just immediately. Mm. I know it's that taste. Mm. It's at, at, at wits, you know. Mm. Mm. So, mm. If I if I had been thirsty, this would be. You know, mm. If you were if you were trekking across a, a landscape somewhere and you came across this, this, this would help you to uh, yeah. Yeah, if yeah. I'm just having a, a recreational, um, you know, smoke. Mm. Mm-hmm. Good to, mm-hmm. to, to, yeah. to, to stay lubricated in this way. Yes, yes, yes. That grows in desert environments, which is amazing. I mean, it's the sort of adaptedness of the ice plant that mm. enables it to grow in a place where it really looks like nothing should grow. There should be no food growing there. You know, we, mm. our associations of what a food growing environment is also needs to be reframed. Yes. Because we think we need fertile soil with lots of compost. I mean, these plants grow somewhat just in virtually sea sand and poor soils. Very yeah. happily grow in those environments. Yeah, and I mean, this is this is the kind of foods we we grew up uh, eating. I mean, it was I mean, what what, what was the thing? Uh, the figs, the seed fire. You know, yeah. there was always you would go out into the bush, play with your friends. Uh, uh, you know, for, forage really. Mm. You know, and so and so. This is the, the these are the I guess the childhood activities that are. All, also being lost, I guess, in this in this whole uh, time of where you know it's not that safe for kids to be out and about and playing in the bush and, and all those kind of things. But but they, they, they were the experiences I remember, you know, in living in out Atlantis way years ago. Um, yes, ladies and gentlemen, uh, listeners of the Cornerstone Critical Dialogues, we're talking about uh, indigenous knowledge systems and in now in this particular segment all about food with Luby Rausch uh, who is the uh, author of Cape Wild Foods uh, Grower's Guide which uh, is all about the various foods that we find in our local landscape that we, we often ignore, we don't know about them, we're ignorant of them and also uh, with us in the studio is Glenn Aronser who is uh, uh, the found, founding member of the Koi Connection um, before we go I want to play some music or uh, well, no. L- 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 let's ask Glenn to do something with the, with uh, with the koi mouth bow, uh, of which he is a practitioner, and then maybe tell us a bit about the the instrument and and and, and its roots and and how it's been used over the, over its millennia. I would guess. Mm-hmm. Thanks. <clears throat> yeah, I think this is a as an important opportunity as as as. Um, it gives one the opportunity to speak um, to some of the things that one finds in the confines of your own little exploratory mind. Um, so, some of the stump- things that are coming out of of being a practitioner is like what's 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 implicit in that. Um, I'm trying to to write up and working on a on a format of how to present it. It's like sort of a, towards a master's in anthropology, but it will be to f- to formulate some of these ideas that are emerging around the bow, which um, I'm framing the project. I'm framing around the bow as a anti-racism project um, because of <clears throat> how deep we go is to get to the first racism dehumanization. And rehumanization 
um, becoming human again is a physical and active and, and practical thing. And um, the bow presents um, in so many ways um, a, a spot to put your toe to get to get a hook on something, to get a faster plek errands and, and have a coherent view around you, no matter how you change shape or where you... There's, there's this frame of reference and the bow is an amazing, I'm discovering an amazing um, tool and implement that in in the framing of it as work to be done around anti-racism. It is basically restoring essential human qualities in the Bushman by virtue of reconstructing the people of the, of the bow by re-imagining the bow Looking at the bow, what it is, um, not just as a buchi and looking at it with a pap uchi, but but you know, deconstructing what it is physically as an implement, a scientific tool to launch a projectile. <clears throat> the science that goes into that. I mean, there's deep science about what makes a bow pliable or, or bowable, or what makes an arrow arrowable or a point stickable, um, and 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 they had that down right. So, so when when we thoroughly step into this racism, we need to wake up that that you know, if this was a lie, then who are we then? What is there for us to assume? What can we step back into? And I I feel if we step back into the into the bow, for instance, we step into the scientific mind, the scientific cosmology or cosmogony that was that one can construct out of out of this to really get to who these people were if they weren't little almost human beings or not quite there but you know nowhere to understand racism is something way way more than skin the bow renders that opportunity it's a tool for education it's a tool for music making it's a tool for living it's a it's a scientific Laboratory tool as a monochord to establish the relationship between frequencies, between numbers. There's, there's a host of stuff from when I look at people looking at uh, IKS inclusion in the curriculum, <clears throat> they must have a field day, you know. I mean, it's a rich, rich, rich territory to, um, and, and I'm just looking at the bow. I mean, look at the food and all of that, right? So, so it's some amazing stuff mm. that is coming out of yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot, a lot to unpack. A lot to unpack. Uh, for people who, who, who have never heard the bow, uh, what, 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 what is it just, or have no idea, just explain right. to us what we're looking yeah, at. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the bow, the bow is basically a single string, right? Um, you may know the famous poem of the broken string. <clears throat> The lament it was more like a, the song of the broken string, but like the, the lament which which is, which goes about this singular string, um, and one can place the bow within the musical family, and whether it's a precursor to the what's um, lira or you know how uh, mm. like as a single string, but <clears throat> so so there's that aspect to it, but. <clears throat> I think just describing it physically, it's a single string um, torn over two ends. Physically, a hunting bow mm. turned the other way. Mm. Um, into a musical instrument. Into a musical instrument and then using the mouth as a, as a resonator because the instrument itself uh, is, very, is very personal. Mm. It's very in my skull. Mm. Um, very for me. That's mm. why... 
part of my 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 sort of formal studies is in 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 psychology uh, and mm. a, a lot of my stuff has to do with this thing concerning myself also with mental health issues and how to respond to that and one of the ways for me is mm. is in my formulation of the bow as a as a tool to sustain or to retain or to reclaim some frequential niceness, some some place of being, mm. um, which I think that recalibration mm. um, or that calibration we need, yeah. that we require um, mm. Mm. can come from each one making their own bow and playing that bow so that the frequencies fill the chamber of, of their own crevices mm. in mm. the skull, in the throat, in the chest mm. and so on. And mm. And heal and, 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 and explore what, what lies within the healing dynamic of indigenous uh, knowledge systems. Uh, mm. what, is the, what, is, what is the healing in the healing music? How do I understand the bow if I'm going to play now? How do I understand the rhythmic textures that are, that mm. are conjured for it not to, to stultify, mm. nor to structure in a rigid way, but just to, to unlock and then to free, to... Mm, mm. to go you know um, mm, mm, mm. so there's a lot to say about about African music but then there's very little sometimes to say about Bushman and Koi music within um, African music and how mm. it it differs mm. from from an out and out description of this is African music yes, and we yes, find yes. how how there's variance in, in needing mm, to understand mm. this sort of, sort mm, of uh, mm. and, and mm. <clears throat> I mean the the bow is a strike instrument, so it's got a string, and you need to like it's like up and down strokes. So the use of the bow currently, uh, in whichever form, many composers use it uh, because you can you can it's got a melodic and a, a rhythmic dynamic to it, um, and harmonically you can come and play around with the tones that are there, and then go to the piano and go and check out with the guitar or what. So it's a it's a it's an exploratory thing, you know. But <clears throat> for me, I think. <clears throat> I like to approach it in in a broader sense of, of of with a healing that the the dictum that each child should have a drum and that we are uniquely rhythmic as human beings, so we need to play. I want to extend and say each one should have a bow, like in the world, everyone should have a bow and play. Mm, yes, 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 hundred percent. So, 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 okay. So, I'm gonna I'm gonna toggle my string here and. And just conjure something. Um, I I approach it as a journey, right? So so I I, I just journey. So you're free to come along. Okay, okay go for it. You see, these things are very temperamental. So I brought two, just so that. Use this
amazing. Yeah, it, uh, it takes you back to some some really primal place, eh? Uh, yeah, it's like you can you, you can feel yourself being transported back in time and space. There was just there's something lives. interesting about about this particular um, when I discovered this particular um, uh, composition because it was it was in literature that. Um, Revealed how the bow was used as a lead instrument in choral singing, uh, the, mm. like the equivalent of the choir, or mm. Um, mm. you know. So, 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 so it, yeah. was an, it was an instrument for accompaniments. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, we're talking about uh, indigenous knowledge systems uh, in South Africa and how we are celebrating them, reviving them. Um, we have in the studio with us. Uh, uh, Glenn Aronser, uh, a cultural activist around uh, Khoisan uh, music and memory, and we have uh, Luby Rush, who is a uh, should we call you 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 a food activist these days? The, the, yeah. I think that's the that, that's the correct uh, appellation. Um, Luby, quickly, um, what, you, I first discovered you you were doing these uh, foraging foraging journeys where you took people on 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 sort of trips into the wild and 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 tell us a bit about that is that are you still doing that how does it work yes i do do um those kinds of work walks and for me it's a it's a very important part of kind of switching people on to using um a part of themselves that us it's so easy to just be, have it completely dormant in modern day life um, I mean foraging is it's not really legal to forage in the wild for plants but that mechanism of actually really looking and really reconnecting to where you are and really in a deep way getting to know where you are you know we walk around blind we drive we stop at a stop street and turn left and right and on a good day we might you know, lift our heads and look at the mountain and think how beautiful it is. But in terms of the kind of really, when you walk, when you walk at a walking pace and you stop and you look, I mean, you, anyone who's had children will know that if you take your children out walking, you never get very far because they are so busy stopping and looking at what they find along the way. And that part of our, ourselves as humans modern life has just kind of disconnected us from and I think that a lot of that kind of yearning to reconnect and why people want to do these kind of foraging things is in order to reconnect with the place where we are and get to know it again mm-hmm, definitely um, yes ladies and gentlemen this this is what we're talking about reconnection through food through music um, as we look back on a sometimes quite painful history history of uh, erasure uh, um, uh, brainwashing uh, you know sort of just a general uh, general uh, invisibility of uh, particular cultures that existed in southern Africa for millennia um, I, I think one of the things that I've also that's, that's also struck me and has always struck me in trying to understand uh, the, the history or the, the for, or unpack I guess the false history that we've been told and especially in the context of things that we have now like climate change and, and all of this uh, often 
uh, when we think about an issue like climate change, we you, you it's usually split between people who look at the, the issue from the perspective of uh, you know there's going to be some technology that that people are going to invent, electric cars, um, all of that, or you know we're going to be able to um, get uh, basically avoid the cost of our our. 200, uh, which isn't a very long time in the span of human history, but about 300 years of basically uh, uh, pillaging of the planet with our sort of techno techno uh, society that we've that we've built over the last only 200 years. Sounds like a lot, but it's actually very short. Um, and the people who lived here quite successfully and in harmony with nature uh, that that we I guess uh, have labelled uh, backward and primitive and and savage, but yet. Uh, what they had, and 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 oh, that they had this innate. Uh, well, I mean, they they're, they're exactly physiologically human, exactly like us. They're modern human beings, but they obviously had made different uh, cultural choices, which was to to live in a different way to what I would guess the so-called modern people live by the the, the values and the, and the principles that that they live by. And it's always struck me when people say. You know, when people say, um, you know what, uh, there's no hope for the, the world. Human beings are just greedy and violent and destructive and we, we all the, the same way. It's part of human nature. But then I said, but well, I mean, you, by saying that, you are denying the humanity of um, an, a huge section of the, the world, world population who did not live, uh, were not greedy and, you know, competitive and, 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 and totally set out to destroy everything around them in the way that we do. And uh, they did so... F- for tens of thousands of years, maybe hundreds of thousands of years, if you look at the archaeological record, and uh, and and so we we maybe we need to be looking at what they've what they had, the tools that they used uh, to figure out, you know, how how we can also uh, progress and maybe uh, you know and not, and not be bedazzled by all of these 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 techno things. Trying to go to Mars now. Uh, you know, with some big rocket. Um, ladies and gentlemen, this is Ryan Fortune. I'm your host, and we're talking uh, indigenous knowledge systems. Uh, tell me about the, the preserves that you've got here, uh, Luby. So I brought her along two bottles made using kai apples. Mm. So kai apples are a, a round yellow fruit that grow naturally around um, kind of at a elephant park that part of the world mm, the, the kai so yeah so it's kind of crossover rainfall kind of part of the country but they are grown a lot here um, around Cape Town a lot of municipal plantings have got them so you okay. can easily find them once you get to recognize them you can absolutely find them and forage them perfectly legally because they're planted in mm. in an urban area amazing but then they're also planted a lot they're terribly thorny they've got these mm. massive thorns mm. and so they're used a lot as security hedge planting on farms and that kind of thing mm. and they're an interesting plant because the male and the female flowers are on separate plants so you have to plant more than one in order to make sure that the pollination happens and the fruiting happens. Mm-hmm. And sadly, they tend to grow only the male ones because they don't want the fruit. And I just think, ah, oh, yes, yeah. mm. <laughs> how sad. Mm. Because, I mean, they, yeah. they really are. I make so many different things from kai apples. I make mm. a cordial and um, I fermented them to make vinegar and um, fantastic chutney. They're a really great local so orange. Mm. Yeah, mm. And that what you're having there is just this kind of 
jam, so mm. it's got the most pure mm-hmm. sort of flavor of it. And you know, your snook with kai apple smeared on it instead of apple mm. course jam. Mm. You know, then we're using our own fruit. I can mm. see that. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The book that you've compiled, tell us a bit about that. That is the, it's a guide for all of where, where one can find these foods, what they're about, and, and tell us about the book. So it's, it's called The Grower's Guide because I'm trying to encourage um, these foods to be cultivated so that we don't go walking into the felt and just willy-nilly picking things in the wild because our landscapes are quite threatened already mm. by farming and by urbanization. So protecting what we have, or, or rather looking after what we have, is very important. And then beginning to grow, grow them in a different way so that we start kind of capturing an agriculture which is suitable for our landscape mm-hmm. and not this kind of agriculture that came here with people who came here 500 years ago and brought their foods and their systems of agriculture with them. So this is a guide which is really trying to encourage people to start growing them in in ways where it fits in with the land. So it's growing things where they come from. So... and, and understanding what the needs of the plant are so that you don't have to overly overly, exp- overly water, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. overly improve the soil. Just grow things where they like to be because then it's just so much easier to grow them. Right. Mm. I think the water-wise aspect of it that always stood out, wasn't it? Yes, absolutely. <coughs> and Yeah, and the fact that, you know, a winter rainfall plant likes to have rain in winter. Mm. It has a hell of a time in summer and the plants have had to become very adapted because, you know, most of the world, the rain falls in summer and the major growth spurt is in summer. Mm-hmm. And here in the Western Cape, it's dry and hot in summer. So the Brackley and the ice plant have had to adapt to that and are right. adapted to right. that. Right. So actually, we have a huge resource of plants from a climate change perspective that are actually incredibly adapted to tough conditions and the kind mm. of conditions that we're finding ourselves moving into mm. as we've hit our planetary boundaries. Mm. So there's, and I get very excited about being here because we've got 10,000 plants in the Cape Floristic region. Mm. And and many, many, many of them have not been um, studied, studied understood, enough yeah. to, to actually understand. I mean, I could start sprouting off about a couple of them, but I won't bore everybody with it. But there really is hope for using our own local foods in a way in which is is much more efficient than the kind of way in which we're doing agriculture at the moment. Mm, 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 definitely. Lots to think about, uh, uh, people. Um, I see there's a, there's a lot, a lot there's also a, quite a few things going on in the sort of uh, space of right now of memory of uh, looking back and sort of celebrating our past. Uh, I saw, um, I saw um, Denisha, a friend of friend of mine, Denisha Anand, who had a talk at uh, TEDx. TEDx, yes, she did a, a TEDx talk. And Denisha is a fantastic environmentalist, uh, a young woman who has really uh, taken on the, the reins and, and helped to uh, uh, turn around the Princess Play, Princess Flay Forum. Uh, and if you didn't know, if you're someone who lives out there in Grassy Park or re- on that side of the world, retreat, uh, Bishop Lavers, and you, you, you should know that Princess Flay is actually named that way after a uh, koi princess who was, uh, legend has it, um, a ki- 
captured by the by the Dutch colonists. She was bathing in the in the flay, and, and and she was a princess, and she was captured and, and enslaved at the time. So that that's the story of, of Princess Flay, but an iconic place uh, for a lot of people. Um, if you grew up in Cape Town and, and used to frequent that, that area, um, you know, you, as a sort of a resort, and 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 over time it became degraded and not well looked after and sort of abused and Denisha uh, is uh, is uh, the, one of the custodians of that space along with uh, quite a number of other people but um, I think one of the things that she said at the at the TED talks was that uh, indigenous peoples had this uh, had, had, were were custodians of the land and they, they 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 kept it safe and clean and you know and 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 and, and so this is this is why f- for me the thing I think we were speaking about this earlier on the need to go back and understand wh- what these uh, our ancestors other human beings exactly like us not primitive not backward actually probably far more advanced than we are in terms of how they dealt with other other beings on the planet um, and and so we need to really understand what they were doing in order to figure out how, how we should behave uh, would you agree with that Louis? Absolutely I would agree with that and you know there's I mean there's a kind of technology that would have been um, in place to make use of the foods that were found here. For example, you know, the Western Cape is the, the carbohydrates are not got from grasses. They are got from bulbs and corms and rhizomes and so forth. And the kind of technology that would have needed to have de- be developed to make use of some of those in order to make them more palatable and more digestible. Some of them, yes, you could eat, you could eat some of the ankies, just like that soot ankies, you know, some of those names allude to, to the fact that they were very tasty, just as they were. But some of them you actually needed to put into fire or you needed to, you know, wash in salt water for a period of time. Those wild almonds needed to actually get you know, they needed to be washed, otherwise they were not good for, for mm. our systems. So some of that sort of very early technological, you know, it's a technology, mm. how to transform something with fire. It's one of the early things that would have come out come out of here. Mm. Um, and also, you know, and a lot of those foods were growing on the south coast here, sort of Agalis Plain, where a lot of those caves where some of the very, very early creative acts like you know the markings that were made um and so forth so you know that's hundreds of thousands of years old and those technologies then left africa Mm. um, and spread to the rest of the world i mean you know the sort of birth of modern creative man happened here Mm. based on the marine foods and the coastal foods Mm. that people ate Mm. i mean we, we we can't in a way i mean we need to go back yes in order to reclaim some of that but we also have to face the fact that we're now a hell of a lot of people on this planet mm, and mm. we can't actually do things in the same way as they used to be done and we need to find new ways with old things mm. and I mean in a way I feel like your music is a little bit like that as well that there's a sort of something quite primordial about cooking with fire or making music with very simple instruments yeah. but we need to find new ways forward <laughs> it's because a, we live in a difficult time yeah I think I think that's correct because I think it's like a search for another type of space, <clears throat> a space that touches on the infinity in some way, a source, something that is inexpendable. Um, and in a way, this music becomes that. Um, the elements that one discover that makes up the music, the structure of it, is like 26 letters and you can write countless novels with it so so there's this 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 tetris thing that possibly work with st- 
structural design within the music, for instance, and what one finds is this trajectory um, of, like, let's say one one looks at the natural development of the Bushman and Koi Koi in respect to music, and then you add this groot koms, right, and it just hoys everything through Maka. At what juncture can one imagine were they progressing musically uh, in terms of the insights at the time that were developing through the making and playing um, in the way that they do? What intellectually, where did they go if one looks at um, polyrhythmic aspects that are known? Um, where do they pull um, in its complexity towards, towards this trance that is inherent in the uneven, in the uneven meter, the, the heartbeat, the, the three against two or, or four in the polyrhythm, and then, and then the five, you know, so they discovered there was this five, a count of five, for instance. So, so what I'm trying to say is there's this exploration, and the more you come into this terrain, you find that this is, this is like a felt full of food. This is like mm-hmm. a, this is a terrain of, like, you just breathe deeper. You, you, mm-hmm. you, you, you almost transform to just for a minute touch on something that is infinite. And, mm-hmm. and, and when you play and you, and you dabble in this infinity and, and project it and it's found to be edible, <laughs> audible audibilities audible uh, edible uh, yeah. you know mm. uh, it's it's a similar sort mm. of thing one mm. one 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 kind of want others thing, yeah. to, to reach this 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 mm. this space um, mm. um which is not metaphoric it's it's not an abstract space absolutely and mm. it's really real. it's really um, um you, you know allowing it to manifest yeah yeah mm. well the one plant that 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 comes to mind as you were speaking there is um, it's a Circea family which they're Krybesi, Rusenkibos Taibos, there are about 380 of them across South Africa and they make little berries that are very sour, they're related to Mediterranean sumac which is used very actively in the Mediterranean countries as a, as a culinary spice sour, quite sour and it's not been nutritionally tested here at all Mm. Um, 380 of them around the country. So it's summer rainfall, winter rainfall, little bushes, big trees. Um, and it's written in the sort of ethnobotanical records mm. that just a few handful of those little berries could sustain a bushman in hunting down large game for hours on end. And we haven't studied it at all, mm. you know. Mm. And I mean, and that's only the one plant. I mean, there are so many other. You know, there's a bit of work that's gone around skeletium, for example, which is you know now being made into pills and that kind of mm. stuff. Mm. So certain types of plants that somehow I think can be made money out of in the sort of pharmaceutical world, for example, mm. get quite a lot of attention, you know, and can we mm. make some money from export and that kind of thing. Mm. But the actual more important sort of root of our connection to our plants from here is the one which is just so under um, underconnected with. Mm, mm, um, mm, and mm. I really do hope to see that right. changed, you know, mm. that we can engage so much more with what we have mm. here. That's why the, the interface between the virtues of these domains of, of indigeneity and, 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 the, and the technologies in it, um, interfacing it with, 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 with centers of needs, mm. uh, rehabilitation centers or spaces where mm. you know mm. 
need, yeah. for growth and development. Yeah, along, uh, yeah, so yeah. Some sort of line. It's really good to bring these virtues then in, into, in, the, yeah. into the space, yeah. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, you're listening to the Cape, uh, well, Cornerstone Critical Dialogues. I was going to say Cape, Cape, Cape Foods, Cape Collective, <laughs> something, Cape Koi, something. <laughs> um, yeah, the, the, uh, uh, Cornerstone Critical Dialogues uh, every Thursday night. Uh, tonight we're having a very deep uh, uh, discussion around uh, indigenous knowledge systems and how we should be, could be celebrating them, reviving them, how we need to open our eyes to the richness that surrounds us um, in this place and, and, and time uh, that has been erased or ignored that actually stares us in the face to, to in, a, in a lot of ways. Yeah, we're talking about all these things about uh, the the ways in which in which uh, our history and our indigenous uh, knowledge has been erased, and um, we are basically uh, often, I think, uh, walking in in a sort of a fog, a fog of uh, not really understanding where we come from. Uh, how we got here, where we're going, um, and and I think the 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 plants that we eat, um, the plants that we eat um, often are are ways of uh, are the the plants that we eat, the music that we listen to, are uh, the, the 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 spaces we move in, the spaces we move in are are ways in which we can reconnect with uh, a past that has been that has been kept away from us. The other thing that keeps us very disconnected is the way that our economy, global economy works, and that a kind of sharing economy doesn't, doesn't exist. And I think that some or other how we need to find our way back to that, the way in which communities work together and the way in which not everything is seen from a financial point of view, but that va- things are valued in different ways. Um, and I think that that's also something that we need to we need to address. Mm, 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 mm. Definitely, um, Glenn. So, so how, how's it been going with uh, Koi, Koi Connection um, and uh, the music that you that you've been creating? What is what is the impact of? Um... Yeah. <clears throat> well, I think. You mean the impact of the of the, of the music? Of the yeah, what I'm wondering was like when you are out uh, doing your workshops and mm-hmm. people encounter the bow for the first time, and uh, sort of as a tool, as a way of reconnecting, as you say. Yes. What, what, what is the effect on 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 the individual once they sort of uh, get close to that? Wow, well, you know, um, it's kind of <clears throat> it's remarkable in that without exception, you find. You find people being able to get into that into that space I suggested, where you know uh, you gain access to something that is just immediately almost like magical. That is that that responds to one, and you just get a sense that this is this is like a like a stallion that you want to tame. This is something that is at the same time like a zebra that you would never be able to tame. There's like you have to accept this 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 uh, sort of wildness of 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 what is conjured by um, by the by the bow and and this approach to to, to striking it. There's a there, there's something about the rhythmic um, aspect to it, you know. So <clears throat> I think when one looks at, uh, for instance, the music, there's always this healing dynamics um, in it that one expect from uh, a trance dance around a fire, a healing uh, dance. 
but then you also have <coughs> the music functioning for <laughs> for a real dance. You know what I mean? So, so there's a celebration, like you said. We need uh, so it's like a reviving and a celebration of what there is. So. In the music itself, there's a lot to celebrate and there's a lot for contemplation and healing and uh, trancing and so on. So some of the stuff that I personally had been in, uh, involved in was, um, in fact, there's a there's a group uh, that came together uh, known as, uh, to put a project together known as Koi Funk, which is uh, basically a, a, a bunch of local excellent musicians that have put some some of these ideas together that can that can start to have a feeling of this is us onze goed you know this was a dung and you can you you hear it without uh, you know it it it, it, it stands out mm. so yeah 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 yeah, yes. uh, I think we're finding to start to fuse and put this. Yeah, five this, minutes. Uh, yeah, to, you know, to put minutes. this uh, potpourri, mm. this thing together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to keep it going in the studio with uh, with Luby. Uh, Luby, so tell me something. So people want to uh, find out where. What what is a good way to begin to go onto a journey around food to rediscovering your sort of culinary uh, forgotten history. Well, I think the one thing which people should explore while they have elders in their families who still hold some knowledge to capture that because those elders are old and we are losing them. And so what knowledge is still there to be passed on, I think, is the one very, very good place to start if you have elders in your, in your family or amongst your friends. Yeah, yeah. Then in terms of a food journey, I think the other thing that we need to do, also just as modern people living on a planet that has found reached its boundaries, is to challenge ourselves to step out of our habits to step out of our food habits, to step out of our habits of always having a ceiling over our heads and actually going out and looking at that night sky and reconnecting to where we are. Mm. So I think that all of those things that can just reconnect us to where we are and to what we may have even have done as children that we've forgotten about. And then when we find things that are from here, engage with them. Engage with the music that we have here. Engage mm. with a food that is from here that, you know, we're so stuck in our habits and we turn our noses up to things and we want things that were always the way they were, even mm. though they might be very short memory. Yeah. Um, so really to be prepared to challenge ourselves, to shift from our stuck places. It can even be our angry stuck places that the way in which that our, our reactions are to our difficult pasts can be to be angry about them and to actually move on from them and find new ways of, of processing things that, that can incorporate and shift the sort of patterns that keep repeating themselves that hold us in negative places. Mm, mm, mm. I guess that's what it is. It's about the the, the patterns that we've been co conditioned into, and um, including shame, including yes. hanging on to shame. Yes, 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 yes. No, de definitely. Mm. I mean, as I was saying earlier on, the, the, the this whole history. I mean, of of slavery, two hundred years. Can you believe it? Can you believe it that uh, you have to confront the notion that your four 
forebears, your your forefathers, your ancestors were for two hundred years. They they were the property of some other people, and they were generations of of of, of human beings in your family were were, were kept as uh, as as goods by by another group of people. So I think there's a huge sense of shame attached to that, even to acknowledge in, to acknowledging that. And I mean, before we even get to the question of am I koisan or, or not, you know, I mean, we, we know from growing up and we'd always see the pictures of the the, the Caucasian ancestor, you know, sort of uh, elevated above, above every, everyone else. And you know, in our own families, uh, you know, are sort of the what was the word? It's, an, it's, a, it's a derogatory word these days. What not? You know the the hot nut side of your of your family was was sort of always suppressed, and um, and you know the sense of, of negativity around that. And and now it's, it's time now to I guess I guess I mean it's long time past overdue that we should actually be engaging with the thing with yeah. with these issues, uh, Glenn. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. I, I mean it's you you mentioned long overdue, but it's 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 it's, it's euphemism for. For for maybe a stronger way of putting it, which I won't now, but I can't imagine how we are not mm-hmm. given given the weight, given given mm-hmm. our cornerstone position within crimes against humanity. Mm-hmm. That up until this point, no one was moved. You know, mm-hmm. like no one was was moved to burn themselves up for it. No one was prepared to set fire to something in order for us to get through this towards locking out of this pattern. There are some patterns to break and some patterns that we want to get back to and what are patterns and not falling stuck into romanticizing about poor patterns and just for its own sake. So I think... I think in a way what one has here with indigenous knowledge systems, it speaks back to rite of passage for youngsters. Mm. If we don't have rite of passage, we can just like blast hot air and rakre liquor, uh, uh, get off on it and then, and then like just be an ineffectual as, as well. Um, so within, for instance, the bow and the music, rite of passage in playing patterns, breaking patterns, keeping patterns, polyrhythmic, keeping patterns together, there is there are life lessons in there. There are things that prepare one for this world that is built on cooperation and not competition. Um, it's like I'm saying, this is not this is not a miracle stuff. This is things that are practicable. You know, this is things yeah. that are doable, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, no matter how we are uh, frustrated by it. So, in a way, this notion of nation building, and as and as much as one want come from a post-nation, uh, continental, um, you know, of unity within that measure of size. Mm. Um, what we need to do is to counter-engineer, is it not? Mm. 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 So, so we are the engineers. Mm. Mm. We, yeah, we, I mean, we, I we, were, we, were, we were liberated. Right? <laughs> <laughs> the, 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 those who engineered us out of this, out of this, into that, mm, mm. these oaks, you know, that are that are now um, stinking rich for having navigated us us into this into the doldrums. Mm. Um, where's the design? Mm. The intelligent design out of apartheid into this so-called post-apartheid. Mm. Where's it at? You know, mm. where's the where's the soundtrack for this liberation? Mm. This this lightness. Where is it? It's, it's mm. uh, I mean, 
Mm. You know what I mean? So, mm. so I mean, uh, there's uh, a larger project, and the project is really to defi- to, to find what unites us. Mm, mm, what mm. unites us we've been divided and we, we, we we're reveling in the division we mm. want to celebrate the division mm. we want to we want to make the division deeper because we think that is there's something of virtue to be found in a deep tribal identity mm. or in something as narrow as as, as, as that you know mm. Uh, mm. So it's very interesting for me the, I was talking about the, the, the example of Gabon earlier on and what was amazingly fascinating for me was to see I mean when I, when I say when they say 40 different tribes like you know I, I went to and I, I was like okay well it's really how can you have 40 different tribes but they're all Gabonese and, and but I went to a music event that they were doing and in the music event they, they were really 40 distinctive types of music the way they sounded the way they dressed the way they the language they, they were speaking but they all and I guess again when you talk about like unity was they were united by this plant you know, their sense of being Gambanese was that we, that we all share in common this plant and this religion called Bwiti, but we're all quite distinctive culturally. Right. But the uniting thing is this plant, you know, and that's the thing that they hold on to. And it's, it's actually one of the reasons why they, they're one of the first countries to kick the French colonists out of their country in the 1960s already, you know. Mm. Um, so there's, there's power in the plants. There's power in the, in the, the things that we, that we, that, 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 that move us sort of, you know, from a, a deep level. And uh, we, we often ignore them or we overlook them or we don't even know about them. You know, we've been kept in the dark and chasing chasing all sorts of things that actually don't serve us and so I think it's really time for us to to, to really go back to to those sort of essential things you were going to say something Libby? I was indeed I just received a book for my birthday a couple of days ago mm-hmm. which is called In Bibi's Kitchen and it is recipes from homes from all the countries of Africa that abut the, the um, Indian Ocean so it's South Africa, Mozambique, you know, going all the way up into Eritrea and so forth. And, I mean, it's an incredible book because, you know, relative to most cookbooks or kind of food, food fads that we've, you know, had, um, I would nearly say thrown at us, you know, if you think of sushi taking off and Thai food and Mexican food and, you know, the foods from elsewhere, we're always kind of looking elsewhere for what our kind of, food aspirations are and for me to to have this book in my hands where every single photograph is of brown brown hands or and the foods are foods from this continent um and humble you know humble humble foods Mm. and you know it just oh i mean it made my heart sing that this nice big fat book full of beautiful pictures is actually celebrating africa in a way which for too long it just hasn't been mm, and mm. you know you'd, you'd always get a cook from another country and very few from Africa so it's it, there's a t- changing tide mm. of really wanting to you know Af- to celebrate Africa and mm. claim it as as a continent mm. that should yeah. be sung yeah 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 yeah, and also, I mean, also looking at then at ways in which in which uh, the, the these sort of uh, indigenous influences can also be then transposed into uh, the modern context. Um, uh, I mean, I was looking at, I mean, you've, you're making preserves out of kai apple and and and, and, and all of these, yeah, bl- blending things, and yes. you know, it's 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 familiar as a preserve, but obviously made with a, an ingredient that, that that comes from like way back, and then. Um, 
Uh, I mean, I know there's a guy in observatory down the down the way at Tapiwa, Tapi Tapi, yes, Tapi Tapi, who is uh, d- just tell yeah. us a bit about what he does. Uh, I maybe. mean, I think he's doing fantastic things. He's he's reconnecting people to ing- indigenous ingredients through ice cream. I mean, how cool is that? You know, mm. the, it just makes that whole thing of turning your back on the weeds or the poverty foods that so often our own foods are thought of, thought of as. Mm. I mean, who's going to refuse an ice cream, man? Mm-hmm. You know, and you go there, and he's doing a different ice cream just about every time. I think he very seldom repeats an ice yes. cream. Yes, yes, and it's a fabulous way. It's a great entry point. Yes, um, for everybody. Yes, yes. You know, we yes, all I mean, just I mean, dig ice cream. I mean, who doesn't yeah, dig yeah, ice cream? Yeah, and then, you, and then you go there and it's made, the flavors, some in, in mm. indigenous African flavor. That, it's reimagining. Yeah, you know, what, what are some of the ingredients he's doing? Well, he's, he's used cow apples. Yes. And he uses all sorts of herbs. I mean, he's, gee whiskers, what he doesn't put in there. I mean, baobab. Mm. He's put so many things in. Yeah. And he's, you know, he's incredibly um, intuitive and creative in the way in which he combines things. Mm. In You know, he's put amasi in and He's put sorghum in, and mm. you know all sorts of ingredients that that are familiar, are to familiar, mm, mm. but which we just simply don't incorporate into, into our lives very much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's exactly. just having a complete jaw. Yes, yes, and yes, he's yes. approaching it with incredible intelligence and a sort of refinement as well. You know, it's yes. a real kind of reimagining, and I think that that's a part of what we need to be doing with music, with food, mm. uh, with our knowledge systems. Mm. That you mm. know we don't get too stuck on trying to go back. Yes, but that actually. We have what we have, and we kind of move in a sort of forward direction with it. Yeah, yeah. You know, what it also touches on is, <clears throat> like for instance, with, a, with, with, with our work around the bow, is to encourage each one to make their own bow. Mm. And what is invoked with that is to to rekindle this identity of ourselves as tool makers mm. and not as tool users, so that we, we, we're less prone to want to be given food mm. and more thinking about making food mm. um, and, and getting into that mode. Um, and growing food. Exactly, yeah. Mm. You know, to, be, to, to become the makers of and, mm. not, and not passive recipients of, which is a, which is a sort of a, a... Very modern thing. It's a it, very it, sad modern well, thing. Well, it comes with a disposition <laughs> of exactly that landscape mm. out of which people's familiarity mm. with, 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 with how to make a living with nothing. Um, mm. You know where that um, resides. Mm. So, dispossession and the colonial project and decolonialism is to do with that. You know, um, so people are not getting their lives back because there is no engineering for that to happen. Mm. Um, you know, in in fact, we just have another entity that is dividing us on new sets of of, of rules for division, um, as if we are not like, you know, like cut out for it uh, mm. at this point, um, stopping us short from immediately engaging with it. Mm. Do we need 20, do we need, how many years do we need to still bathe in this muck of post-apartheid scum that we are all needing to, can't wash off uh, like when do we want to get into this project, you know what I mean? Mm. Uh, Instead of um, getting this divide between rich and poor going Mm. um, we we, 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 we're not hardly doing enough with what we've got and the indigenous Mm. knowledge systems should function for us Mm. It should be for us, you know, mm. to get out of from where we are and, and engineer on the basis of what we have. That is our raw material that we don't need to go and get from anyone. Mm. 
Ladies and gentlemen, yeah, we're talking uh, indigenous knowledge systems here. We were not able to get uh, Dr. Brian Wilson on the line and Zandile, Zandile Dumas. But uh, if you if you are next to a computer and you want to find out exactly what what, what Zandile in particular is doing, is she, she's trying to uh, use uh, indigenous knowledge systems and have them incorporated into uh, for, for development, you know, for economic development, for uh, spiritual development, for uh, particularly, um, you know, uh, I, I would guess among young people, you know, and 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 uh, entrepreneurs, and trying to sort of you know incorporate a, a lot of these things. So the, I mean, this is the this is the, the kind of work that that needs to be done. I mean, I'm, I I sometimes I'm a big fan of TikTok, and I, I sometimes um, w- w- watch. Uh, I see I see how a country even like China. It really makes a big deal of celebrating its its history that goes back, you know, into back into ancient times, four thousand years ago. You know, they'll uh, romanticize and celebrate these things. I mean, obviously, they have this sort of long unbroken history with, you know, um, but there was some colonialism there at some point. Uh, Hong Kong and the, and the Brits who try to go there, but. Um, the, the 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 fact that uh, they they really uh, as a, a diverse and vast country uh, really make an uh, uh, an investment, you know, um, we can talk about we can we can talk about uh, some of the issues around um, around uh, dictatorships in Africa, but there's some I mean there's some places uh, I mean Gabon is, was run by the same dictator for uh, decades, uh, but he really made an, a, a point of investing in indigenous local culture you know like i mean a, a festival of all the different tribes in the country for a week you know it's it's um, we, we don't even do that here in south africa we make a big deal of talking about how there's 12 you know 12 different languages and all of this kind of thing but we is there a, a national platform where we all come and celebrate our diversity is there something like that well, well i mean if it, not 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 exactly that I know about, yeah. but I mean, what diversity also do we want to celebrate? I want us to to, to like what are the unities that are that, that are there to celebrate? I'm, for instance, thinking of the of the the case of Tanzania with Julius Nyerere um, emerging as president, and and where did he go to that which which unites? Uh, mm. It's reported also that he went to culture, right, uh, mm. dance form and music form, which goes. Below it cuts below the cleavage of the divides mm. that in modern time had come through mm, uh, mm, things. So, mm. for instance, if we look at Mandela taking rugby yes. as, as as something that unites, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. that's a that's a strange, uh, interesting <laughs> grab of a of a rabbit out of a hat for mm, that purpose. Mm. I I think, in mm, my mm, humble mm, opinion, mm, mm. there are mm. things to to really take and engage with and I think for instance the mouth bow is one of those things mm. the bow ideally is sort of a shooter's thing mm, right mm, mm. so a shooter's thing had that climbed mean. into the whole of southern Africa right yes yes. who does not play the bow who yeah. does not play the yeah. bushman bow it's the bushman bow that they play you know yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Um, but the point of, the, of it is then that we all somehow can find common ground mm. Mm. By standing on the bow, and what the bow mm. does in its indigenous knowledge system scope and dynamic mm. is mm. it has rite of passage content mm. for mm. both the boy and the girl child. Mm. Mm. The roles mm. that that exchange. Yeah. You know, mm. if you look at how we uh, how the boy child engage, what they need to go through, the rite of passage to engage with their own sense of femininity, their own their own wholeness mm. was mm. was way more than this. 
whatever Western society is structuring for us, mm, mm, uh, th- th- this binary and this, uh, you know, you're either mm, here or there or you mm, or you mm, none or you not or, you know. So so within just the, the vernacular of the bow, mm, we there's a lot to be said. Speaking of the speaking of the of the of the bow again, uh, we we're running out of time. We got four or five minutes, and uh, and so I, I was going to ask you just maybe to mm-hmm. give us something else on, on the bow uh, to get us nearly to the end of the show. Really apologies for uh, not being able to get uh, Dr. Brian Wilson on the line. We're probably going to have to. And Zandile, Zandile Dumas uh, up in Johannesburg. Just some technical problems here this evening. I don't know what, what that was about, but um, hopefully we can get them on a, a future show. Uh, talking about Because there's a lot to unpack here. There's, there's a lot. We can, we can have two, three shows about, about this issue. Yeah. So, uh, Glenn Aronser, uh, Koi Connection, playing uh, the mouthbow. so much Glenn for that um, yeah that brings us to the end of the show Luby is there any last words you want to you want to leave our listeners with uh, uh, around food and getting getting back in touch I mean, you said a lot but uh, is there anything you, you, you think you may have left on mm, yeah I think that as, as, as human beings with two legs we've always moved and we've taken things with us when we've gone to new places and we've suffered from what was brought here and imposed on here but I think that for us as human beings finding ways to to make new cultural blendings from things that maybe aren't necessarily from our very very own very far back roots but are actually about you know, I mean, I think of, for example, the Italians. You think tomatoes are, are, are Italian things, you know, but no, they, they came from, you know, South America and chilies as well, which is completely all over Asia. Mm. And, and, and yet they are part of a very strong food tradition in those places. And in a way, that gives me hope for our continent that we can make those kinds of new cultural blendings and claim and start new traditions. Thank you, Luby. Glenn? 
keep it short. Yeah, um, we were, as Koi Connection once performed at Montebello, and there were a, a spokesman on behalf of the Kwe and the Nu invited to speak. And I think what, what they say is something, I think, significant. Um, mentioning to the audience that, metaphorically speaking, we weren't gone. And I'm coming back to this vacant space you were talking about when it opened up. We weren't gone. We're nomadic. We mm. were migrating mm. and we came back and we brought you gifts. Mm, 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 mm. Mm. Fantastic. The gifts of uh, indigenous knowledge that are still there if we care to look for them, unearth them, explore and be open, as Luby said, to uh, to these experiences instead of shut off. Um, ladies and gentlemen, that brings us to the end of uh, another episode of the Cornerstone Critical Dialogues. We're going to have to leave it there. Hope to see you next week. Right here. Yeah.